TalkZone.com. Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joe Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. What if that's all I could keep thinking of uh, last night as I drifted into a not-so-subtle sleep and woke up this morning? I kept thinking, what if that shot, that shot by the boy wonder Gordon Haywood actually would have gone in? That'll be one of the uh, things we'll talk about on today's show. What a ball game it was. College basketball comes to conclusion, while another sport, one of our favorites, baseball, the major league variety anyways, kicks off the end of one season, the start of another, the beauty of sports, folks. It is year-round, always something good going on. Welcome, everybody. It's two guys and a MikeTalkZone.com. The coach uh, temporarily flying solo. We are going to have a rare in Studio host. I don't know if it's uh, me, David Olson. I, I tend not to take it personally. I, you know, I do shower in the morning. I'm not a cleanliness freak, but I do try to keep myself somewhat uh, tempered here. But uh, very few people actually like to come in studio. Most of our guests, most of our co-hosts seem to be joining us via the phone. But J.D. Thorne, baseball guru and author, is going to be joining us. So we hope. In studio in just a little bit. The big dog is off today. And of course, uh, you can join us wherever you might be via the phone lines at 888-463-6748. That is our phone number again, 888-463-6748. User friendly, brand new program here. Internet sports talk radio. Dial it up and have some fun here. Talk some sports. And uh, of course, we get off the sports page early and often on the talkzone.com. We might not today though, because there's so much sports to talk about. Uh, and you can email us, of course, at Mike2Guys at AOL.com. M-I-C in the number two. Mike2Guys at AOL.com. Duke defeats Butler 61-59. Awesome. Awesome championship game. A great defense. Tense throughout. I think the biggest lead of the game was, uh, maybe eight points. And if it was eight, it was for a brief moment in time. I mean, it was a tight game all game long. And I'm going to argue that uh, it bothered me a little bit that the um, everybody seemed to be uh, kowtowing to the Butler team. Uh, you know, Clark Kellogg, who, again, I think is an outstanding announcer. I really enjoy listening to him. Well, if this Butler team can hang in there, if they can stay, stay within two or three baskets towards the end, they might have a chance. You know, the underdog Butler team, the more you watch Butler play, and as I watch that game, I, I really think if they play 10 times, Butler wins 7 out of 10. I mean, I honestly, and I'm not just saying this to create a cannon fodder here for sports talk radio. I don't do that. I honestly believe for, as, as a basketball purist, basketball fan, if you forget all the other stuff, the fact that Butler's a small school and Duke's got the great tradition, you just watch what they do on the court and their talent level. And this is not a um, insult at all to the Duke Blue Devils. I was kind of in a... Great situation where I was rooting for both teams. Hard to, I mean, I was rooting for Butler, the underdog story, but it's hard to root against that Duke team too. Good guys, and to me, anyways, a quality program, and they they uh, succeed and they win and they do it in the right way. Very few Duke players are uh, 
players you want to root against. I know a lot of people would disagree with that, but I was kind of rooting for both teams. So either way, how it came out, I would not be upset. But uh, I honestly think Butler is and was the better team. The only problem yesterday is they missed a lot of shots that they normally uh, put down, particularly Matt Howard on the inside and um, made some nice plays. They went to him early. I think that strategy was good. I think the first three, four times he got the ball inside, he made the, he's very unique. He's not overly athletic, but he's got a, a uh, interesting ability with his footwork to feel the defender, to almost use the defender as an offensive weapon. He slides off the defender's body, has that nice little drop step. He can do the reverse layup, but he missed three, four, five. Good shots that normally maybe he doesn't make every one of them, but he makes about 75% of them. And a couple of the guards, uh, Shelvin Mack and Ronald Norred, who played so outstanding throughout the tournament, they missed some shots late that normally would have gone in. So I don't think it was an underdog Butler team. I think it was a Butler team that, uh, quite frankly, if they played ten times, maybe win six or seven out of ten. But congratulations to Duke. It was an outstanding game. Huge win. 61-59. What a dramatic ending, too, is the people that stayed up late to watch it. Gordon Hayward gets the rebound, dribbles up the court just in Cosada half uh, half court. I have to describe this to our fine producer David Olson, who is not a college basketball fan. Shocking, absolutely shocking. Didn't fill out his brackets this year. He told me before the show, "What's the point of watching if I don't fill out my brackets? Like putting a dagger right between my kidney and my liver." By the way, I keep forgetting. I know in our previous radio show we had the kidney foundation and the liver foundation. As our charitable groups, is it? I keep forgetting. Is it? Do you have two kidneys and one liver, or is it two livers and one kidney? Two kidneys, one liver. You're sure? Pretty sure. All right. So if you're keeping score at home, you can donate a kidney. But if you have a friend in need, you do not want to donate a liver. Is that correct? That's correct. However, you can donate a portion of your liver. That's correct. I forgot about that. How do you do that exactly? They just they just slice it right off, and it kind of grows back. I. Don't think it grows back. No? I don't think it grows back. So no. you're okay with two-thirds of a liver? Uh, I think with certain dietary okay. uh, restrictions, yes, you are. Okay. Thank you. Our nutritional and uh, surgical expert here, the producer, David Olson. Again, if you're keeping score at home, two kidneys, one liver. All right. I digress. I always get confused with that. Uh, just in case I donate, and I'm considering donating in the not-too-distant future, I need to do a little community service, a little humanitarian. I'm feeling the need for it. It's not like I've gotten in trouble with the law, Dave. I don't have to do that kind of community service, but I'm feeling like um, it's either donate money or donate an organ. Right now, money's kind of tight, so I'm thinking I might donate an organ just to, you know, for my 2010 community service. You need anything over there? You're all good? Uh, yeah, I'm all good. Okay. I'm all good, yeah. All right. Let me know if something comes up because, uh, you know, this might not last, by the way. Things can change. You know, this might only last through the month of April, so, you know, get it while the getting's good. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so Gordon Hayward takes a shot. I was starting to say how shockingly David Olson, our fine producer, does not watch the game, but uh, many, of course, did. Takes a half court shot. Did a nice job, too. He got the rebound. Three and a half seconds is all the basketball aficionados know is a ton of time. It is an eternity, and to young Gordon Hayward's credit, he did not rush it. He busted it up court. Dribbled just inside a half court. For those that saw it, it was eerily similar to the Evan Turner shot. I mean, it was almost the exact same spot of the court where Evan Turner hit his shot to give Ohio State 
uh, their big victory, that miracle shot from half court, and Gordon Hayward's shot goes up. And for three quarters of a second, I think the entire basketball watching nation, a gasp of breath, a moment of silence as we held our breath. Could this be one of the great moments in sports history? And it banked off the rim. It was not that far away. Not that far away from going in. And you see uh, Brad Stevens and the rest of the bench with their heads down, realizing what could have been. And, of course, after the game or you know, a couple days later, a week later, Butler's going to realize how phenomenal their run was. But uh, the pain of it immediately after the game had to be so significant because uh, when you're that close, when you're that close, literally one shot, one bounce of the basket away from winning it all. Tremendous win for Duke. But I opened up the show by saying, uh, what if? Let's just think for a second. If that shot by Gordon Haywood would have come in. And by the way, baseball fan, don't you worry. We're going to talk lots of baseball here. Opening day baseball, we're going to be joined by our guest, hopefully in a little bit, uh, J.D. Thorne, who uh, wrote a book on baseball. We'll talk about that and cover all the opening day games. But if that shot by Gordon Hayward would have gone in, I was trying to think where, at first, I was going to say one of, one of the great moments in college basketball history ever. And then I took, as I thought about it a little bit and let it sift it in, then I took the next step up and said that would have been the greatest moment. And, again, I invite listeners here to uh, chime in, agree, disagree, or anywhere in the vast in between, 888 I took the next step up and said that would have been the single greatest moment in college basketball history. It's a strong statement, but think about what. What moment everybody talks about the Christian Leitner shot, which, by the way, is, I don't want to digress again, was on the day of my wedding. I missed that. ESPN's greatest college game of all time was on my wedding day. Thank you very much, but I don't want to get into that right now. It's a very sore subject. Um, That's a sad story. Excuse me. It really was particularly sad because my friends remind me of it on a semi-annual basis. I uh, can't think of another moment in college basketball that would have been. You, you combine three things. One, the fact that it was the championship game. Two, the fact that it was a half-court shot. And when I say it was, it would have been a half-court shot. And three, the fact that it was, and again, using the term Cinderella, is a little bit um, kowtowing to the Butler team. They really weren't a Cinderella. But a much less unknown, let's call them a, a big underdog, a low-budget program, a mid-major, if you will. So you combine those three. Championship game, half-court shot, and the underdog Butler team. If that shot goes in to win it, three-pointer, I think it would have been the greatest moment in college basketball history. Then I let it sift it in a little bit more. And right before drifting off to sleep, I started saying, you know what? That might have been, could that have been like one of the greatest moments, forget about college basketball, let's extend beyond the venue of college basketball. If the theme of today's show on the college basketball front anyways, what if? If the Gordon Haywood shot went in, would that have been one of the great moments all time in sports history? It's hard to say because it didn't, and you'd almost, even if it did, you'd have to let it settle in for a week or a couple of weeks or a month or maybe a year, maybe a couple of years. But, uh, you know, you think, obviously, the miracle on ice, I guess, when 
the U.S. defeated Russia probably is the one people think of the most. But if that shot would have gone in, boy, that would have been unbelievable. And I think it might have uh, been up there in the great moments. Our kids, our kids, kids, our kids, 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 grandkids, whatever would be talking about that and watching that particular play. Didn't bounce in, though, and congrats to the Duke Blue Devils who win the championship. It's interesting, too, because when you look at it early in the season, and even the middle of the season, Duke was winning, but they certainly weren't uh, dominant by any means. It was considered a good Duke team, but not one of the flashier, not one of the sexier, not one of the more dominant Duke teams. They were winning and coasting along, and they were benefited in the Atlantic Coast Conference this year by the fact that North Carolina had a rare down year. Maybe that fact that North Carolina was down added to the fact that Duke as good as they were, they kind of flew under the radar this year. Uh, the big new Duke-North Carolina battles, which were usually must-see TV this year, they weren't. Uh, Duke won the ACC, but again, did it in kind of a quiet, understated way, and that was kind of theme of uh, this year's team all the way through the tournament, too. And then they win the ACC tournament. They did get hot, and they started to uh, kick in a little bit, if you will, in the Last third of the ACC season, last third of the college basketball season, certainly in the tournament, when they won the ACC tournament, they got a number one seed. But even with the number one seed, they weren't um, flashy. They weren't the popular pick. Kentucky and Kansas and even Syracuse, those were the much more dominant number one teams. Many argue that Duke probably shouldn't even been one seed. A lot of people filling out their brackets. The popular upset to pick was Duke going out in the first, second, or third round. But it was the Duke Blue Devils who very quietly just kept chalking up win after win after win. And the more you watch them, and I was talking Butler's praises early on, what a phenomenal team they are, not to downgrade at all what the Duke Blue Devils have done because it was an amazing run. They're a fun team to watch. No superstar, but everybody knows the three really good players. One of them, by the way, who played his high school basketball about 15 minutes from the studio, Jonathan Shire, their fine senior guard. Interestingly, too, I had a couple of uh, people in the community. I I never saw. I watched them play in high school, and I didn't see it, but I've heard from at least a couple of people, maybe parents that had kids on the team that played against Jonathan Shire, and let me just gently say they were not exactly rooting for Duke to win. Saying back in the high school days that Shire would trash talk a little bit and not exactly the best competitor to compete against. It's not a survey of 100 people that played against him. That's just what I've heard from a couple different ones. He seems like a classy guy, and certainly his Duke career, we didn't hear about any negative things, but there was that aspect back in his high school days. But what a performance by Duke. Nolan Smith, great, great job. Kyle Singler, the MVP of the tournament. And then, of course, those weren't boos. Those we're hearing, those were zoo for Brian Zubek, the seven foot one center who really elevated his game. So that's it. College basketball comes to a close. Another great season. Many are calling it one of the best March Madness runs that they can ever remember, and I would uh, I would be among the many. I don't know if you want to rate them one, two, three, four, five. You know which was the best, but this year's uh, from the championship game right down to the, it has started off the very first Thursday. If you can remember that, the very first opening day of the tournament was unbelievable. I think I came on the show the next day saying. We might have had more dramatic one or two games, but I don't think we've ever had a day. And it's hard to remember now. It seems like about five months ago. I can't even recall the games. But from the, talking again about the very first Thursday of the tournament, from the 
first game at 11 o'clock that morning to the later games at 10, 11 that, at night, we must have had two, three, four buzzer beaters. Uh, 80% of the game, rough estimate again, came down to the final minute or two. It was an amazing opening day, and that kind of set the tone for the whole tournament. There were upsets. There were great performances. There were highlight plays. There were funny things, sad things. It was all the drama, all the drama that makes us love college basketball at least. Makes all of us, except our producer David Olson, love college basketball so much. Thank you. I want to put out a personal thank you to all the players, the coaches, the staffs, the TV people, everybody that gives us college basketball over the year because it is true entertainment, thoroughly enjoyable. So uh, just a very simple thank you to all those great efforts. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. TalkZone.com, two guys and a mic. Like we said, it was the end of one season. And the start of another, the baseball season kicked off. And here in Chicago, we had one really, really good. It was only one game, folks, and one really, really bad. You want to talk about your baseball teams, we can do it when we come back. 888-463-6748. Right now it's one guy and one Mike, J.D. Thorne, coming soon. Back in a minute. are open for your calls on two guys and a mic call 888 go for it once again here's the coach john cone this music could be worse than a chinese water torture Guantanamo bay used this music to torture prisoners i think uh, maybe all the controversy would have come to fruition much much sooner by the way my favorite chinese water torture this is a a lot of good ones. A lot of good ones. But my favorite one that I've heard of, if you want to really get sick and sorted, is you're on a giant block of ice. Okay? And then they put, you're familiar with Chinese water torches, right? Could be our daily quandary for the day. Forget about basketball, baseball. Your favorite uh, Chinese water torture. Uh, you're on a giant block of ice. And then they put a fish hook right in the roof of your mouth. Okay? And then they put you outside on a uh, medium warm day, not too hot. And you're on the block of ice on your back. As the ice slowly melts, are you getting the picture? Fish hook on the top of the roof of the mouth. Slowly. Slowly. Here's your sick and sordid thought for the day. You're killing me, John. Worst torture in movies that you've seen, David Olson. What was the worst, most uncomfortable? I've got my vote. 
It goes way back when most uncomfortable torture scene that you have uh, witnessed. David Olson, the longtime movie buff. Uh, payback with Mel Gibson from right around 2000. They were breaking his toes with a ball-peen hammer. Start they were breaking his what? Breaking his toes. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah, it was very uncomfortable. And they would just go right down the line. Uh-huh. Bang, bang, bang. How about what was the movie Misery where they, uh, she takes that, was it a hatchet or a knife and slices off his leg? No, 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 no. James she, put, she No, she put a block of wood in between Ooh. his ankles Ooh. and then knocked his feet in with a sledgehammer. Oh. So she busted both his ankles. Oh, I thought I thought chopped it off, no? No, that was in the book. In the book, I think she cut really? him off, yeah. Really? All right, well, that was number two. For me, my favorite one, you got to go way back. Way back. Do you remember a movie called The Marathon Man? Vaguely. Dennis Hoffman, right? Uh, or, Dustin. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who could forget his famous brother, Dennis? Yeah, where he's in the, and the guy who was the torture, I think he was a Nazi criminal or whatever. The guy who was doing the torturing was the dentist. And he had Dustin Hoffman, he was trying to get information. I haven't seen the movie in years, but, but that was the most uncomfortable I think I've ever been in a movie. And I don't know why we're on this topic right now, but, uh, and he was torturing him via the dentist drill. Are you sure you don't know the info? Oh! Yeah! Mm. That was nasty. All right, welcome back. Two guys at a mic talk zone.com. By the way, David Olson, are you noticing? I have made a big switch. From the normally for those viewers, by the way, JD, who has just entered the studio here, we are on via the webcast. So I'm not sure which camera's on, but wave to your fans out there. JD Thorne, baseball author extraordinaire, also a lawyer. Any of you, uh, two guys at a mic fans that are a little bit of legal <laughs> trouble, we're going to help you out. We'll give you a, a phone number you can call. We're going to talk to JD in just a second, but, uh, you did notice I've gone away from the apple for all those webcasting fans who tune in to see me chomp on an apple for today anyways. I'm going for a little potassium, the banana. Thank you very much. 888-463-6748. We have kind of wrapped up the basketball talk. Want to get into baseball talk now. Opening day of baseball here in Chicago, as we said right before the break. One really, really good performance. And one El Stinko performance. We hit both extremes. But first, I want to introduce uh, our in-studio guest making his first appearance here. I haven't even met him before, but I have read his book, J.D. Thor. J.D., how are you? Good morning, John. We appreciate you. By the way, you can put the headphones on there. Okay. Checking out the head, J.D., checking out. You, uh, let's see, first of all, author, we should yes. mention, of this outstanding book, The Ten Commandments of Baseball. You'll be very proud of me. Like a good sports talk uh, host, I did read the book. Thank you. And by the way, an easy read, which are my favorite kind. Well, I hope it was an enjoyable and entertaining one, too. Yeah, and some good pictures. Aren't they great? Some good pictures in there, too. So we'll talk about that. But uh, I know from writing the book and reading your bio, uh, beyond being an author and a teacher, you are a baseball fan. You had to love uh, the start every year of opening day. Well, it was, you know, it's always terrific. I'm. Uh, I watched the uh, Yankees and the uh, Boston Red Sox play on Sunday night, mm-hmm. and that was kind of kicking things off for me. Terrific game. Great to see Sabathia being from Milwaukee. We enjoyed his pitching in Milwaukee, and I was glad to see him look good and do well. Do you think, uh, I think I know the answer to this, but is opening day to the kids today less special than it was back in our day? Well, I, it's hard to say. It was very special for us, but I think it's even more special for them uh, today. Really? I enjoyed uh, bringing my kids out to the park on opening day. We'd take them out of school, even though we shouldn't have. And uh, we enjoyed those games and still talk about them today. 
we always remember the game at, at Old County Stadium in Milwaukee where it was 34 degrees. Now, this last opening day was pretty darn nice. Uh, 34 degrees, we were sitting in the upper deck, and the wind was howling through, and we looked over into the Milwaukee bullpen, and, and there was a pile of snow there, and I said to my kids, <laughs> look at it, it's not melting. Yeah. Those kinds of <laughs> I always have baseball, and I, and I coach it here in Chicago in the spring weather. It, baseball is a wonderful game. It is not a lot of fun in cold weather. Well, uh, one exception cold. to that would be uh, is uh, when you're the pitcher, I can remember playing high school uh, uh, for Prospect High School. I went to, to high school there, and I remember once playing New Trier, and it was about 35 degrees. And I liked it as a pitcher because I was loose and I was warmed up, and my hands were warm. Mm-hmm. It was easier to throw that uh, slider in on the fist for me, and I pitched very well that day, and we avenged a loss in the basketball On court. behalf of all the infielders and outfielders and fans and coaches, just about everybody else except the pitcher and catcher, when it's cold out, throw strikes! <laughs> Nothing worse than a pitcher that cannot get the ball, or even if you're not gonna, th- if you're gonna be bad, be quick. Well, there right? you have it. Uh, oh, pitchers that work slow and throw balls, and the outfielders are out there freezing. I mean, you know, my my theory it's like in golf. I may not be good. I'm a bad golfer, but I'm quick. Okay? <laughs> right? Nothing worse than a bad golfer who's slow about. It. Well, I suppose that's the double whammy. <laughs> Beautiful. J.D., real quick, your background now. You played at University of Wisconsin, living up in Milwaukee now, but you grew up in the Chicago area. Here's the big question for you, David Olson. Are you keeping score? we got to ask him. Are you rooting for the Brewers now, or are you going back to your hometown? Well, uh, Sox. I, I have now, an answer. Well I, have, well, I admit, uh, I see the Brewers because I see them on TV all the time. I read about them in our local papers. So when the Brewers play the Cubs, I cheer for the Brewers now. However, uh, I still am a Cub fan, and my kids, uh, uh, I've only got one of them that agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> the kids are all uh, grown up out of school? Uh, two are in school. Mm-hmm. The, uh, my eldest is 30. He's out in Denver. So uh, he went to the University of Minnesota and became a Twins fan because he just liked the way they played baseball up yes. there. Yeah. Uh, and you can't fault it. How, no. uh, of course, then the joke there is that they uh, traded a roof on their new stadium for Joe Maurer. Yeah, that's uh, it's actually not a joke. That's pretty much close to reality. <laughs> yeah, and I agree with your son. By the way, you know, I'm a Cubs fan who does not root against the Cardinals. I appreciate the way St. Louis Cardinals run their organization and play baseball. I'm a White Sox fan also, and you're right. The Minnesota Twins, over the years under uh, Tom Kelly and Ron Gardner, the last 15, 20 years, they approach baseball the right way. They play it the right way, and they do it without spending millions and millions of dollars. Imagine that winning without spending tons of money. Well, it's uh, a terrifically run organization. It's been a model for the Milwaukee organization, which is also competing in one of the very smaller markets. Mm-hmm. And yet they're still drawing uh, almost 2.5 million, 3 million fans. Uh, I think they're eighth or sixth in the league in home attendance. It's mm-hmm. really kind of an incredible thing. Of course, we always welcome everybody to come up to uh, Wrigley Field North when the Cubs play the mm-hmm. uh, Brewers. I have not been to brand-new Miller Park yet. Want to get there. I've heard of I've heard nothing but great things with the exception. Apparently, leaving the ballpark out of the parking lot can be a little um, cumbersome. Well, I would compare that to what it's like leaving Soldier Field. Okay. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think it comes out all right. Mm-hmm. So you just uh, tailgate a little more, and you pop out a few beers, and then you wait for the traffic to clear out, and uh, away you go. That's the approach. Instead of rushing out, rushing out, say, hey, take your time. Watch the fans go out, have a couple of brewskis. Not the driver, of course. Of course. Yeah, see, that's, that's definitely... 
the approach to go. 888-463-6748. That is our phone number. It's the coach and J.D. Thorne sitting in today on our Two Guys and a Mike show here on the TalkZone.com. You can email us at Mike2GuysAOL.com. That's M-I-C. And the number two, Mike2GuysAOL.com. We're going to get to J.D.'s book in just a second, but opening day of baseball. Uh, our Chicago White Sox played brilliantly. They win 6 nothing. Mark Burley. Tremendous pitching performance. They're talking about this play he made in the field. I went to uh, David Olson, our internet producer. You're a man of jack of many trades on this show, by the way. I went to, uh, first of all, the video on YouTube says you can't see it anymore. MLB.com has snarfed it up. So hmm. I went to MLB.com. To, they're calling it the play of the year. Wow. You know, you know what I'm referring to? Should we stop playing the rest of the 161 games? It's almost. Like that, they're they're saying forget about this. This will be the def- defensive player of the year, and it came on the first game. Mark Burley, the pitcher. But David, I went to MLB.com, and uh, you can't get it there either. It says page expired. Am I doing something wrong, or where? If you want to see something like that, basically, Major League Baseball can take rights to that. Absolutely, yeah. It's their it's their copyright. It's their copyright. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, technically, if it's something on YouTube, you have to have the copyright for it, or else okay. they're going to take it down. Okay. But why can't I get it on MLB.com? Maybe uh, that's, it's... A, that's a good question, and I'll look into that, because I actually watched that clip this morning. Okay. So I'll uh, I'll see where I found it, and I'll uh, uh, shoot it I'm, I'm trying to keep my eye on our uh, fine TV screens here and catch the play. But anyway, a great defensive play. White Sox win at 6 nothing, and J.D. on the other end of it. I turn on the radio... Uh, the Cubs game, Cubs fan first, but I do root for the White Sox. All excited, opening day, right? You know, you have all this optimism. And I turned on the radio about 4 o'clock, maybe two innings in. And already Ron Santo is in a state of depression. I don't know if he's going to make 161 more. And I hear Pat Hughes, and the Cubs are behind 8-3. to three. Carlos Zambrano giving up six runs in the first inning. Like, oh, my God. A absolute layer of an egg by our beloved Chicago Cub. Well, uh, there's 161 left to go. I, I would you know, say I'm in, not sure that's comforting me right now. I would say in <laughs> Milwaukee, uh, we've, we're we really have a fine Central Division. How'd the Brewers uh, do yesterday? Brewers got beat. Uh, they played a nice game. They got beat four to two by a nice Rockies team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, oh, but I, you, you ran into Ubaldo Jimenez. He was one of tough. my favorite guys. Ubaldo. Oh, he was tough. Yeah, I was going to uh, name one of my kids. It was either uh, I named him David, but it was either Jim, David, or Ubaldo. Those were the three names. Uh, uh, I, I don't know which one you picked, but I'm sure it was David, the right choice. I was going for Ubaldo. The wife wouldn't go. <laughs> go ahead. You were going to say about your brew crew. Well, the uh, Brewers have a, a, a nice club, uh, but they, it's like many things in baseball that if everything falls just right, they may be they may be competitive. Yep. They've got those two great players with uh, Ryan Braun and Prince Fielder. Uh, they are just uh, as a three four. Uh, it's as good as uh, Ruth and Gehrig almost. Mm-hmm. Their stats were just amazing last year with Ryan Braun hitting over two hundred hits. Uh, that was pretty decent. A couple sure. of people, a couple of the experts I saw picking him to be the uh, MVP of the league this year. Well, he's playing awfully well, and he's a converted infielder, really shortstop, mm-hmm. and uh, so he plays a very good left field for us, I think. And he's fast on the bases; he'll even steal a few bases. So. He's a, he's a terrific player, and then Fielder, of course, is really only behind Pujols, uh, probably the best, arguably the best first baseman, too. Speaking of Albert Pujols, other highlights on the uh, opening day of baseball. Again, you're listening out there anywhere in baseball land. You want to talk some uh, little white round ball with us? We're right here for you. 888 463 6748 St. Louis. 
uh, wins their ball game against Houston, or I'm sorry, against Cincinnati, 11 to six. Albert Pools opening day, two home runs. The guy is absolutely amazing. But the Cardinals and Pools, JD, are off and running. Well, that was our analysis really up in Wisconsin at a, at a group that we meet called the World Series Club, and we all kind of looked at it and said, just St. Louis is just loaded with talent, and and actually, I think the Cubs are too. The Cubs have a nice squad and uh, good management. Pinella, you can't hardly do better than that. We look at all the great managers we have in the National League. I worry about Uncle Lou. I, I, this sounds silly, but I honestly think that the night games, I, I don't think Lou Pinella can be that sharp at 8, 39, 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> well, for it, some it of us, that's silly. when we really wake huh? up. You know, for some well, of us, that's know, when we really wake up. Senior go. citizen, he talks about in the off season, he goes to bed like at 8 o'clock. Well, I think those big decisions that come like 9, 9, 15, it's like, Lou, hello, Lou. <laughs> well, I guess we'll see how the season plays yeah. out as far as that goes. Philadelphia uh, defeated the Nationals 11-5. to I mentioned that one in particular because Roy Halladay, maybe the best, uh, most consistent anyways, pitcher in all of Major League Baseball the last five, six, seven years. Starts off his Philadelphia Philly career, of course, traded from the Blue Jays and J.D. Uh, it appears changing leagues doesn't affect Roy Halladay. Seven innings, three strikeouts, uh, one walk. He was amazing once again. Seven strikeouts, nine strikeouts, I apologize. Well, it's uh, commandment number ten in the in the book. A uh, mm-hmm. pitcher without control hasn't anything, and he seems to pass that commandment pretty well. Timmy Lencicom, the uh, two-time Cy Young winner, he pitched for San Francisco. They beat Houston seven innings. He's the one with uh, only one walk, had seven strikeouts. Great control. Lincecum looks like he's on his game to do. And the Washington Nationals lost. I don't know if you saw Barack Obama came out and threw the first pitch for the uh, Nationals. I think I did. Yeah. Not bad, by the throws from the left side. So. Yeah. You know what the joke was with the more about Washington Nationals is Barack, you know, if he, he might throw that first pitch so good he might be their fourth or fifth starter by the end of the season. <laughs> you see him shoot hoops against Clark Kellogg? Uh, I heard about it. Well, he was he played basketball in high school. Absolutely. So he, was, he knows how to play. But during the, uh, and again, David Olson, our uh, fine sports talk producer here, a man who is adverse to college hoops, would not have seen this, but... On Final Four Saturday, the first game at halftime, they showed a tape of announcer Clark Kellogg with a friendly horse game with our fine president. And they didn't call it horse. They called it president. Oh, they had another name yeah, for it to do right. with president. But it started off, uh, Barack was missed clank, clanking shots, and Clark Kellogg hit his first couple. And you could tell Clark Kellogg didn't want to embarrass the president. Ah. So he purposely missed a couple, but... And Brock started hitting, What happened man. is President Obama got, like, red hot, started drilling shots, and he ends up beating Clark Kellogg. You know, Clark was trying to be nice in the beginning. But well, anyhow, it sounds like it, customer golf. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to be nice to the president. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other opening day baseball? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get to your book. But uh, any other opening day baseball notes? We're uh, forgetting J.D. was fun, if nothing else. To uh, know uh, college basketball ends, we talked about the start of the show. One season ends, another begins. Your favorite sport is off and running once again. True. It's uh, so much fun uh, to, to get going after. Uh, there are those players that say spring training itself is too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not so certain if it is or it isn't, but here we sit, and uh, I, it's glad to have the games that count. All right. I did go through the entire Milwaukee Brewers schedule last night in honor of your coming here, and I came up with the 79 wins. 83 losses and eight games undecided. I'll bet you. I'll bet they do better than that. I think they're, uh, that would be two less than they did last yeah. year. And they've definitely improved themselves. Yeah. Uh, I believe that, uh, uh, their bugaboo is going to be staying healthy. They're not that deep. 
uh, like the Cardinals run very deep. The Cubs run deep, I think, mm-hmm. as far as talent goes. The uh, uh, but their starting frontline players are are very good, and so I, I think they're going to be competitive. There are those that say Cincinnati is better. Now you looked at Cincinnati's uh, fast close at, at last year. And uh, they did very well. And they got the Cuban sensation pitcher that everybody's anxious to see, the kid Chapman, on top of uh, some of their great young players, Johnny Cueto and company. Cincinnati's a popular pick. Dusty Baker still coaching Cincinnati, right? Well, that's what we. I was thinking about that the other day. I said, look at all these great coaches we have in the National League, starting with Larusa. Great coaches. Oh, Dusty I, I, Baker. Well, I think he's. <laughs> look at where he's been. <laughs> I don't know. He seems to have a way with the players. Well, that's the problem. He, all the players love him. He never wins, but the players love him because he's so easy. Well, I always think of uh, Harvey Keene that we had uh, coaching the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, and they made that thing about uh, claim about him, too. He was a yeah. player's manager. Yeah. Well, they played ball under yeah. him, though. Those were Harvey's wall bangers, right? You got it. Yeah. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, my good friend J.D. Uh, has written a book. We're going to talk about that. It's a baseball book. He's also a lawyer. I have some situations I may have to bring up with you, J.D. You don't mind taking personal stuff. You should to charge me over the radio? Uh, not only if it's a good question. <laughs> 888-463-6748. Join the baseball talk. Two guys at a mic. Talkzone.com. Quick break. Don't go anywhere. Back in a minute. Time to get back to Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. Once again, here's the coach, John Cohn. Here we are back in the TalkZone.com. Two guys at a mic during the break, finally able to see the Mark Burley play. Pretty spectacular. I'm not ready to call it the defensive player of the year, but uh, pretty spectacular athletic play by Mr. Mark Burley. White Sox win their opening game. Six to nothing. It's two guys at a mic. Talkzone.com. J.D. Thorne, nice enough to uh, come in and join us today. And, J.D., let's talk about your book here. You have written a book. It's the Ten Commandments of Baseball. Uh, and the Ten Commandments are courtesy of 
manager extraordinaire Joe McCarthy back in the day. Talk a little bit about how you got the name for it and where McCarthy came up with his Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments go back to 1921. He was a minor league manager at the time. I first learned of them my uh, when my father passed away, and we found a little card. He was a ball player in Chicago. My two grandfathers were ball players in Chicago, circa 1910. In the, the family, the story was the two grandfathers met for the first time at my parents' wedding in 1939, and over a couple beers after the wedding, uh, they figured out that they both pitched against each other in a hardball game in 1910. So I have baseball coming on both sides. My father was an excellent amateur ball player in the city of Chicago. I tell a few of his stories, uh, which were fun, but he really taught us about baseball, and we're probably third, fourth-generation Cub fans. They grew up on Montrose and Merrimack, and then the, my father, when he passed away, said, you know, I didn't do too badly for a poor Swedish kid from Humboldt Park. <laughs> <laughs> so you found so so he's the one who collected? Yeah. he, uh, My brother, who was a high school coach at uh, for 34 years at Rolling Meadows High School, okay. and Forest View uh, before that, uh, came out of the bedroom, and he said, look at this. And he had gone through my father's top drawer of his uh, ch- bedroom chest of drawers, and here was a little advertising card from an Iowa restaurant. Uh, the dugout restaurant was owned by a, the proprietor was a pitcher who pitched for the New York Yankees and went back to Iowa, had a good life, and opened up a restaurant. And he gave these out as uh, advertising pieces. On one side was his photograph. The other, His name was Bill Zuber, Zuber and on the other side was, the Ten Commandments of Baseball, mm-hmm. now by Joe McCarthy. I He was a little bit before my time, and I didn't really know Joe McCarthy. Uh, and I looked at these rules. I said, these are really neat. My father must have really meant something to him because he had it in his top dresser drawer. Mm-hmm. And then we thought back, well, when the, were the folks through Iowa? And that came out to be about 1975. So it meant my dad had had that card for over 25 years, very close mm-hmm. to where he could see it every day. Uh, so I thought to myself, he, this had to mean something to him. I, put, I framed it, I put it on my uh, law office desk, and I got a call one day being a speaker to give a talk that is one of those that when you get the call, you really have to do it. And it was to speak to the positive mental attitude development class at a place where they really need it, which was the federal penitentiary in Duluth. Wow. The prior speaker to me was Jim Tressel. Had so you're giving a positive mental attitude talk to prisoners up in Duluth, Minnesota. Right. Interesting. The uh, and I drove all the way up myself. It was I had to pick up all my expenses. There was no fee for it. I had an hour in front of 300 inmates, and I thought to myself, "Well, what am I going to talk about?" I think it's my other book. I have a book called Successful Employment Practices, and I think that that was where the where it really came from. But coming fresh uh, from my father's funeral, having the card on my desk, I said, "I don't want to talk about that." I'd rather talk about the Ten Commandments of Baseball, and then we'll tie that in as to how, if you think about them the right way, they really apply to success in life as well. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, and then the idea for the book. Well, the the presentation, I got two standing ovations during from the prisoners. From the prisoners, uh, I had an hour with them, and you always was, were worried. You're talking to like a hundred prisoners, you know, and ninety seven of them stand up. That's very nice. You always want to keep your eye on the three that don't. Though. <laughs> Well, everything went pretty well. Okay. Uh, the uh, and everybody was very gracious about it, and mm-hmm. uh, so that was so successful. I thought, well, maybe I've really got something here. So I, I punched out a, a uh, oh about twelve pages of, of manuscript, going uh, you know taking each commandment and then kind of taking it just as it struck me, and mm-hmm. that took a little time. And I started chopping the idea around, and I having written a book, it gave me a little more understanding about how that works and. 
or I should say publish a book. There's a lot of people who've written books. There's not that many that have published them. Uh, it ended up uh, over time that uh, I hooked up with uh, Larry Norris, who I had actually worked with at, uh, the publi- at, at the publisher for my first book, which is CCH, right here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now, that book, Successful Employment Practices, went all over the country, and, and it once took me out to speak at the island of Guam. So I, I was very – I tried to talk to Larry because he was so helpful with that book, and uh, I, he was he had been riffed when I called. I'd missed him by two weeks. And so I thought to myself, and the project has been this, whenever it would stall, something would happen. Uh, about two weeks later, I was at a golf outing, and everybody introduced themselves. A fellow said, oh, I'm a private investigator. And I said, gee, if I gave you the name of a guy in the city where he lived, could you find him for me? And he looked at me, and it was like he was insulted. Can I find him for you? You'll have it on your desk tomorrow at 8.30. Mm-hmm. You'll have an email from me, and which I did. And so I hooked up with Larry Norris again, and he liked the idea so, so you much. You had a private investigator? Find him. Find him. And then I called him up, and we hadn't really talked with each other for several years. Uh, the third edition of, of that book came out in the year 2000, so I hadn't really talked to him much. But, of course, he remembered me right away, and I told him the idea for the new book. And the more and more he thought about it, he said, I think I'm going to start my own publishing company, and this will be my first book. Wow. And he did a terrific job in the design and the editing. Mm-hmm. We worked with the National Baseball Hall of Fame for some of the photos that you mentioned. I mean, to have for me as a Cub fan, having a, I, I had to have a picture of Hack Wilson in there. I said, we're just going to have to have it and find one. Mm-hmm. Of course, they had one at the Hall of Fame. Uh, they had several. The uh, And I think that gave a lot of flavor to the book. And What I'm most honored by, really, is the fact that as soon as it was released, the book was picked up by the National Baseball Hall of Fame for sale mm-hmm. at their museum store. Yeah, even the uh, Baseball Commission, Bud Selig. Bud, one Selig of your Bud Selig wrote nice the forward comments. to the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think baseball people recognize it as, you know, this is, this is a true, uh, it's kind of a unique mm-hmm. literary addition, as Bud Selig said, to the literature of baseball, I think. And the book's called The Ten Commandments of Baseball, J.D. Thorne, the author. What I liked about it, uh, A, because of my short attention span, it is an easy read. Uh, B, there's some good baseball stuff in there. there Thank you. Good baseball, uh, just little tidbits and memorabilia. You can tell the author, and I'm talking to the author right now, but you could tell as you're reading, you had a passion for the game of baseball. So that part's enjoyable. And then third, and I think most importantly, you uh, alluded to it or you stated it, is it takes the Ten Commandments of baseball and it kind of goes over how each one of those commandments actually can go way beyond the sporting field and to life in general. So, in a sense, it is a very motivational and inspirational book. Thank you very much. Yeah. I I, uh, I feel the same way, and it was that way when I was writing. I was saying, well, when I finished it, I was like, I was a little sad. I lost this little friend here that I've been working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I get the the uh, comments from, from the readers. I had a wonderful comment early on from a, a fellow who was a junior in high school. I had given a speech to a men's group, and one of the men there was a mentor to a high school student. He gave the, he bought an extra book for the high school student. I, I said, well, tell me how he likes it. And he sent me the most beautiful email and said, Mr. Thorne, I love the book. It was the first book I've ever read cover to cover without putting it down. It took me four and a half hours to read. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a to reach that kind of an audience is re- very special to me. And now I've got a few high school uh, baseball coaches 
There's one out in Colorado who's using the Ten Commandments with his team. He said, we took a blow-up of the page on the Ten Commandments, put it in the weight room, Mm -hmm. and then the team wasn't playing too well. He emailed me back about a week ago, and and so he had all the players go back into the weight room, and they all signed the poster. So (laughs) I'm hoping the team finishes real well. Let's give the uh, listeners uh, just a few examples of some of the Ten Commandments right off the bat. Let's just go number one. Nobody ever became – these are, again, by a great manager Hall of Famer, right? Hall Joe McCarthy. Let me talk a little bit about Joe McCarthy first. Okay. Uh, and by I looked, the way, I didn't know much. I heard about Joe McCarthy, but I really didn't know much about him. One of the fun things about the book was getting some of the history, a pretty colorful character. Well, I should say, and one of the chief things about him is that he had been in baseball all his life, and when he composed these, he was a minor league manager uh, managing the Cub affiliate in uh, the Louisville Colonels. He had come off uh, winning the little the minor World Series, they beat a Baltimore team in 1921, and out of the hoopla. Now, this was even before the age of radio, let alone what we're doing here. So this was entertainment. When they got back to Louisville, I'm sure that some of the owners uh, won their bets against the owners of the Baltimore team. There was a lot of uh, frivolity and a lot of fun, and out of that, Melu came these Ten Commandments of Baseball. McCarthy himself never played a day of Major League Baseball, but the Cubs in 1925, were going nowhere. Uh, William Vick Sr. was the general manager and convinced William Wrigley to give a try on a minor league manager uh, because all the other ones had failed. So he took over the team in 1926 and began a 24-year career managing the three most storied franchises, the Cubs, the Yankees, and then the Boston Red Sox. Along the way, who did he manage? All these, he actually put together the formation of the Cub uh, of the Cub team that lasted for about 10 years. Uh, he himself was let go in 1930. They won the pennant in 1929, so William Wrigley couldn't really do anything, and I think secretly he wanted Rogers Hornsby to be the coach because he was paying an arm and a leg to have him play for him. Uh, the next year they didn't win the pennant, so there was a falling out between Wrigley and Joe McCarthy, and he was immediately picked up by the New York Yankees, who, whom he managed for the next 14 years. And then there was a falling out uh, with a new Yankee ownership in the late uh, after World War II, and uh, he was picked up after a year by the Boston Red Sox. So who did he manage along the way? Uh, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Joe DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. Who was the manager? Joe McCarthy. Ted Williams. If you want, want listeners want to read a good baseball book, if they haven't already read it, the summer of '49. And I've got a lot of information on uh, about McCarthy there. And, and he was, it was all really about the. Uh, Discipline and doing the little things and trying to find the edge. And sometimes the guys that are the best managers are guys like himself who did not become a major league star. You know, he was a good baseball player, good enough to play in the minor leagues, but the ones that have to fight and scratch and claw and aren't the most talented sometimes make the best managers. And he kind of took that experience and turned it into his managing. And that, if I remember correctly, was one of his keys to success. Well, I think so. The, he was known as a good inside man, which meant that he was not only to, he could inspire the players to do the inside game, which meant that the outfielders always hit the pickoff man, the fielders were positioned for, the, for double plays, uh, they very seldom made any base running mistakes. Uh, he was really credited for be the, being the architect of the New York Yankees dynasties, uh, and he insisted that the players act like Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's go over because we're uh, running short of time again. If you're just joining us, J.D. Thorne sitting in uh, baseball 
uh, high, great high school baseball player, played college baseball at the University of Wisconsin, now a practicing attorney up in Milwaukee. His book is called The Ten Commandments of Baseball, second book that you've authored, right? Right. Let me say this. It's available on the Sporting yes. Chance Press website. Which Sport, is? It's www.sportingchancepress. It's all one word. Okay. It's the name of the publisher, uh, dot com. So mm-hmm. Sporting Chance Press website. Uh, and there you'll find it. It's twenty dollars, and he'll ship them right out. Can you get it on the Amazon.coms of the world too, or? Uh, I think it is listed on okay. Amazon, but, but the, the best, best bet is go right to the website and uh, you'll sportingchancepress.com. Correct. All right, uh, and real quick, just to give some examples. Again, the Ten Commandments of Baseball. Just right off the bat, number one: nobody ever became a ball player by walking after a ball. So when I took it to the inmates, what does that mean to you? And they all said, "Well, that means hustle." Okay, now how do we hustle in developing a positive mental attitude? Uh, so I challenged them with those. I did it for the Prospect High School basketball team two years ago, and the coach was nice enough to have me come in and do it as a brainstorming technique with the players. Coach John Camardello. Terrific guy. Mm-hmm. And one of the players shouted out when we said nobody ever became a ball player by walking after a ball. He said, well, in basketball, uh, that's hustle. It means diving on the floor for a loose ball. Another fellow said, oh, screening out my man for a rebound. And the third fellow shot out. Getting an offensive rebound, that's what takes hustle. I said, well, there we go. And then we went on to number two. And it's not only during the game, this can apply to practice, too. Well, I mean, you know, you, run, you can run your wind sprints or you can try to win the wind sprints. Extra effort like that. All right, let's uh, just number two. You will never become a 300 hitter unless you take the bat off your shoulder. Well, here I think the... the you gotta take uh, a chance. Well, you're up there to hit. Yeah. Good hitting is contagious. Uh, it also uh, rocks the pitcher a little bit when mm-hmm. somebody's hitting the ball solid off them. You, if you go up there looking for a walk, and, and there is a uh, tendency, I think, in hitting coaches today to uh, follow the Ted Williams more scientific approach, wait for your pitch, and try and uh, uh, get a better on-base percentage by walking. Well, that would not be McCarthy's approach. Well, and, and also inherent in this is don't be afraid to fail, right? First of all, 300 hitter means 7 out of 10 times you fail, but in life... You gotta take the bat off your shoulders. Don't be afraid. Uh, of course, there's been many books, many things written. Some of the most successful people have failed many times along the way. The only people, I remember reading a quote somewhere, JD, the only people that never fail are the ones that never try. Well, there you have it. I think that's pretty close to what he's getting at here. Uh, if we, uh, uh, to me, I said that means act. Do something. Mm-hmm. Make something happen. And those are the people that become successful in life that uh, take the risk of uh, mm-hmm. uh, of taking the responsibility of really seeing what happens and making something happen. I like so. number three because it's uh, it, it's kind of it's not in your typical positive mental attitude books and it's kind of baseball specific. Number three, Ten Commandments of Baseball. Hall of Fame manager Joe McCarthy, an outfielder who throws back of a runner, is locking the barn after the horse is stolen. Well, I, it, it took me a little while to figure yeah, out exactly. This one needs to sift in a little bit. If you think of a, a baseball a hitter who gets a hit to the right fielder. Now, the mm-hmm. right fielder, he watches that hitter take a wide turn at first base, and if he's picking up the ball, he might think to himself, well, D, if I throw that ball back to the first baseman, I'll get the runner as he's going back to first. Mm-hmm. But, of course, if he does that, what happens? The runner sees it and goes to second. So you don't throw behind the runner. And so, to me, what this really means is don't try to be a hero on every play. Make the right play. And it may not necessarily be the conservative play or the or the liberal play, but the right play. Do the right thing. Don't try and be a hero every time. 
the uh, for me when I looked at ball players because we looked at the major leagues and ball players who exemplified these kinds of principles like for the uh, for hit nobody take you know take your bat off the shoulder I thought of uh, uh, well Babe Ruth his famous quote they said what's the science of hitting Babe he said well I just pick a good one and I sock it <laughs> yeah works ball, out pretty hit good ball. There, you know for batting coaches I coach. Uh, you know, baseball, sometimes the best advice you can get, you know, the whole the elbow and the fingers. And all. See ball, hit ball. Well, there you right? go. Um, you know, the, what your second grade teacher tells you, keep your eye on the ball. That's still beyond everything else and catching a ball or hitting it. That's still the single most important thing. Keep your eye on the ball. we got about 30 seconds, J.D. Okay, well, uh, for I thought of Kurt Schilling being uh, exemplifying number three, making the right play, because he raised so much money for charity. He was a Roberto Clemente humanitarian yep. many, many times. Again, th- lessons that apply to both young kids and adults beyond the baseball field. Right. A lot of people like number six, do not alibi on bad hops. Anybody can field the good ones. Mm-hmm. So what that means is learn to do the difficult things. You want to separate yourself from other in life? Do the things that are difficult to do. I have a lot of trouble with number six every time the quarterly ratings come out for our show. <laughs> Beautiful. J.D., we appreciate you coming in the Ten Commandments of Baseball Sporting Chance Press. Press. That's it. Dot com. You, be at, you, you got can it. get it there. We appreciate it. J.D. Thorpe, pride and joy. Prospect High School, University of Milwaukee. We did not get into the uh, lawyer talk. Uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get you back via the uh, phone at least and uh, have a little consultations and talk during the baseball season as well. Let's do that. I'd like it. Beautiful. Thank you, J.D. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll do it again at 10 o'clock tomorrow. TalkZone.com. Two guys at a mic. Have a great day.